Are you guys ready? That's the question. Are you ready this morning? All right, good. <laughs> All right, we've got everybody coming over? No, I can hear you over there. No. It happens in this place. We do like to hang out. We like to talk. We like to eat. Well, um, obviously, Kim let the cat out of the bag. You guys know I'm not Bill, so um, it's always a, a good, good time when we have the opportunity to be stretched, and we get that opportunity quite a bit because we're a small church, uh, but God uses us in big ways. He uses us, I mean, to, to reach parts of the world that you wouldn't think a little church of about 40 or 50 people would be moving into uh, church plants in Mexico. We've been involved in several of them. Um, and just recently, Monterey came and mentioned that, that, that Bill and Melinda and Carlos uh, Quintanilla are down uh, in Monterey where they're actually looking at planting two churches right now. So, um, And the great thing about the way the Vineyard sees missions work, um, we don't go down and introduce the American culture. We go down and introduce God and introduce um, the heart of the vineyard. And then they take that to the people in their cities, in their culture, in their way, uh, to the things that they're familiar with and incorporate um, what God is doing uh, through, through this movement uh, throughout the world. So it's, it's really unique. You know, it's not just a mercy's mission kind of thing where you go down and build homes and and feed people, but you give them what they really need to sustain. That's the truth of, of who Jesus Christ is, and that, that's what we do down there. Um, and if you've never been and would like to go, you guys ought to get with Bill, because they go down about once a month, and it's a, it's a great, great trip uh, to go down to and, and be a part of what God's doing there. So uh, in his absence, uh, we are going to continue with a series that he started last week, called a program to change the world. I didn't have his little graphic, but it, if you're here last week, you, if you're familiar with the movie The Matrix, and my wife does this, I've got it. <laughs> well, I didn't have it. So it's just a white screen, but uh, usually black with the little things going up and down. So uh, if you can uh, just kind of picture that back there. But what we talked about last week was um, there's a problem with the world. There was a, there's a problem with the world, and, and God declared what was wrong. God called it sin. There's sin in the world, and the effects of sin corrupted the world, and it permeated all of creation. This is what we talked about last week. So I, I, uh, just for those of us, that I think we all have a general idea. We've heard or grown up with the concept and the the word of sin, but I, I thought it was interesting. I looked it up last night, um, and um, I wanted the definition, the Webster's de- definition, so I started looking at a few things, and uh, an, offense, uh, an offense against religious or moral law, an action that is felt, uh, that is or is felt to be highly reprehensible, uh, like it's a sin to waste food. Whew, don't I believe that? Got to make sure it's all off the plate. Uh, <laughs> and uh, often uh, serious shortcoming, a fault, 
transgression of law, uh, of the law of God, and a vitiated, where's my wife? I, I was waiting. She would know I'd know how to say that word, vitiated. I never would have guessed. I had to look up to see what that word meant. But I really, it's my favorite definition of sin. Uh, it, and if you look at what uh, vitiate means, it means faulty or defective. So a, a defective state of human nature in which the self is estranged from God. That's, that's the world we were born into. There's something that's wrong with the world. There's a problem with the world. It, it wasn't as God intended all the way back when he first created the world. Sin was introduced. So, the, so what we find is that the, the condition of man, and I need to follow my notes because I'm following the other notes. You got me back there? Condition of man? There we go. I love this. The condition of man in creation, it is not fixable. It is terminal. There's nothing we can do in our own power to fix what is broken with the world. The deception of sin is we think we can fix it. We think we have the answers. So, we talked last week about in ancient times, they were going to fix all the problems. And what did they use? You see that in ancient history, that man was convinced that if he could deal with all of his enemies, if he could kill, conquer, subdue all those around him, that he could restore authority and order. Their, their quest was to gain enough men, enough weapons, enough favor from their gods, and, and that this would be possible. And he or she could make things right again. So you fast forward to the age that we're in. And we, you, you've heard it um, in school, I'm sure, taught as the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment period, uh, where we find that, you know, maybe war is not the answer. So what we, what we do is in our, our, our near history, we take on this enlightened view uh, where humanity in the more developed parts of the world saw civilization as the key to harmony so we can make everything all right through education, more jobs, more food, less poverty, more science and technology, and things will be all right again. This is what we talked about last week. So examples of today, um, you, you hear all the turmoil in the, the Middle East, and we've seen it come to our country, and you see organizations like ISIS or uh, the Taliban, and um, what they're saying is what we're doing, what the Western, the Western method to make things right are actually, in their view, creating distance between man and God. So they want to go back to the old method. So that's, that's how they respond. They go back to the old way because what you find is neither one works. The old methods didn't work. The enlightened method hasn't worked. 
that there's still a problem uh, with, with our world. The good news is that God declared from the beginning the problem was a sin issue and that he could not fix it, uh, that, that it could not be fixed by man. Uh, it could not be overpowered, eliminated, or healed through any uh, or all of our greatest efforts and designs. The problem is a God-sized problem that terminally affects all of creation. So God, immediately after the fall, set in motion a fix to a true and permanent way to address uh, the effects of nature of sin. That's the good, the good news. And that's, that's what uh, we ended with last week. So when I started working on um, the talk this week, I was um, struggling with the title of what to put on this one. And, and what I came up with was, God help me. God help me. Uh, help us. And I, and I thought, we, we can't get it right. We can't do it right. And as I was looking over the notes with Bill, and I, I just thought, I saw God is making a way. And in and, uh, and John uh, 3.16, you guys know, uh, most of you who have been in the church know that, for God so loved the world that he gave his, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 1 Peter 2 through 24, and and this is all out of the NIV, by the way. Um, It says, He himself, this is speaking of Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. Now, we, today we did communion. And when we take communion, we remember that right there. That's what we remember. I didn't know it was communion today. I was looking at scriptures that would back up what, uh, what God has done for us to solve the problem of sin. And Second uh, Peter jumped out at me. And, and I'm reading it now, and I'm thinking, this is what we do once a month when we remember what God did for us. We, we take the bread as a representation of the body that was broken for us on the cross. And we drink the juice as a representation of the, bo- of the blood that, that has made us uh, clean and put us back into the relationship that God had intended So the power, so that being said, the power greater than sin available through all believers is very evident, not only here, but in the realm unseen. There are things going on that we don't have any clue of. Ephesians 3 says this, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There was, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about it toward the end, but um, he talked about the seven sons of Siva last week. Um, I don't know if anybody caught that. It really stuck out to me. I want you to hang on to that piece because we're going to talk about it a little bit later. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, you're going to find out a little later. 
but it really has to do with operating in the world of the unseen, not just the physical nature, but the things that go on um, that are real and true, uh, that, that we, don't, we don't see. Uh, the power greater than sin available through believers uh, to the root nature, going to the sin nature, the permanent and powerful fix of, uh, for sin has introduced a major victory for all humanity. People who have had this uh, sin fix are now equipped with the supernatural authority to address the heart and root of sin. We are able to speak and respond to the inner core of each human and equally address the dark external powers which hinder uh, humanity's response. That, that piece, um, as we, we look at it, it really goes beyond um, Jesus on the cross because what it does is it comes directly to us of what God did for us, giving us power, giving us authority through what Jesus did on the cross. And so when we operate in the power and the authority that, that God gave us through his son Jesus, we speak directly to those things, to the problem of the world. We have the power and the authority to address the problem, to address sin. At the very core of our being, and then beyond in the seen and in the unseen. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, uh, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them uh, by the cross. So Jesus is the light of the world. John 8, 12 says, Jesus, sa- Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So when we say yes to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, um, in that moment, we become that representative light in the, in the world, in, the, in the, the darkness of the world. And we represent Jesus to all creation, to all humanity. Um, Matthew five fourteen through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. Uh, and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, but it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. So sin and salvation, both are unseen. However, you can see the effects of both, can't you? You can see the effects of sin in the world, and you can see the effects of salvation when people's lives are changed and transformed. 
God's work in us is to display the real and permanent fix for the terminal condition of mankind. We are the instruments. We are the tools. God chose to use you and me. I heard Dylan and uh, worship say we were the only living thing that God breathed life. And I'll tweak it a little bit. You were, you were close. God breathed life into everything. Every animal, every tree, every ocean, every being. But what he did for us special was he made us in his image to look like him, to reflect his glory and speak his words. And Dylan would agree with that, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's okay. I've done it several times, so you don't have to worry about it. Second uh, Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So um, this, this ideal here of humanizing the world, you know, when, when we have uh, an image of sin and we want to fix it, what it leads to, I think, is this, this combative place where the church becomes, uh, it doesn't become relevant, I don't think, in the world um, because it, it really becomes it's I'm right and you're wrong. That's what we do. That's what we do sometimes. I'm right and you're wrong. And so instead of, instead of addressing the root core or the root nature of why people are, are moving away from God and not moving toward God, we, we address the person or the people groups. And they become the issue and they become the problem. And, and we miss it. What this says is if you can look at another person that you may not agree with, I don't care what it is. There, there are people out there that I guarantee you that we can sit here and, and every one of us have a bias or have an opinion about something. But if you don't look at their choices, their actions, but you look at the person and you humanize the person and you realize that God created them, just like he created you and me, then it doesn't become about this, the actual thing that, that's going on. It comes more about the condition and the problem of mankind and trying to reconcile that back to God. So you see them in a way that you can love them and, and that you can um, have a relationship with them and that you can move beyond the conflict. Um, I was talking to, to Bill and he was sharing a story with me about um, a guy in Palestine, and Sherry's going to correct me if I'm wrong, um, that what, what, he, what he did was, I guess he got with a group from Israel, and they have a camp in the middle of the desert, and they take youth, and they take kids from Palestine, and they take youth and kids from Israel, and they go out. In, in this desert, in this camp, and they interact with each other. And so these kids don't see this, this huge gap 
or this huge, all of the history that they've been raised under, what they see is that's a real person. And they can start to see them the way that God sees them. Our job is, is not to, um, to come into this place that we're right and wrong. I, I, God will change hearts. That's what God does. Our job is to, to represent him well. And, and the way we do that is we love people. We don't compromise what we believe. We believe what we believe. And the great thing about our God is he created us to be free will people that we could choose that on our own. He didn't make a bunch of robots just running around that wanted to serve him. He wanted us to say, yes, God, yes, I want you to be the ruler of my life. I want you to, to, to come in and give life abundantly to me, and I get to share that with everybody I know. But I choose that, and that's my, that's my role. I choose that. And so when we can humanize humanity, I don't have to get into a discussion of right and wrong. This is what I believe, and, and people are free to believe what they want. But I'll tell you this much, I believe everything that, that we know to be true and what God has said is the only way that we can deal with the problem of the world with the root sin nature. I've experienced it. I know people that have experienced freedom and have been set free um, from those struggles, and I want to share that. And so what I do is, when I come in, we talked just briefly about it earlier, when I come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and what Jesus did for all of, all of creation, I start to understand and I accept the Holy Spirit In Acts 1, I receive power from God. It's not my own power. I had, I talked, uh, I was down in Mexico. We were talking about Mexico earlier. (laughs) They they invited me to come preach down there. And uh, it's, as you can imagine, there's not a lot of English right across the border. This is in Reynosa. And, And so I'm an outsider, way outsider. Uh, and they wanted me to come and preach, but I don't know the language. Um, and the first thing I thought of was, well, I, I said, yes, you know, I, I want to come and preach. They wanted me to preach that weekend. I remember we showed up on a Friday night and said, hey, can you be ready to preach on Sunday? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I just, you know, I started, you know, God was nowhere to be found. And it was all Jeff just, just flowing out. And my struggle was, um, I, I speak for a living. What I do is 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 sales, and um, I've done it for 20 years, and I've gotten really good at it. I know what people want to hear. I know what to say, what not to say. I know how to read people. And it's real easy when you can communicate and hear what people are saying and what they're doing. But when they're saying things you have no clue where they're at or what they're, what they're doing, I'm like, holy cow, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. And it was, and at that moment, what I saw was there's no power in that. That everything that I was looking at doing was what I knew to do well. 
and God was completely left out of the picture. So I went back the next day, and I told um, the pastor, I will preach tomorrow. I said, I will preach tomorrow, and I'm ready to go, and I'll go back and put a sermon together tonight, and we'll be ready. We were doing a, a, a conference uh, in one of the colonias down there. As, as God's grace and mercy comes, somebody else had already been lined up to preach, <laughs> to preach that day, but they helped me to come back, and I know the, the message I'm going to have when I go there. It's going to be that message because it's, it's the same way for them when they come here. And they, or, or for us, when, we're putting, when we put ourselves in a place that we're unfamiliar with. And I'm going to tell you something. With the gospel message, if you don't live it, breathe it, and make it a part of your core life, then when you are asked to do God things, you become unfamiliar and uncomfortable with it. And I'll give you an example of a God thing. You're at the mall, and you see someone fall, and they hurt themselves. You have the opportunity to go over and say, I want to pray for you right now. God can heal. Say they hurt their leg. God can, God can heal your leg. Do you know they did that in the Bible? The disciples did that? That's what they did. I don't have any money. Peter, I don't have any money to give you, but what I have, I give you freely. Get up, roll, get up and walk. And what did the guy do? He got up and walked, didn't he? That's when Peter said, and, he, and Peter, if you don't know Peter, he fought it. He denied Jesus three times. He walked with him. He said, I never knew the guy. But once he got it, he got it all. He went all the way with it. He went all the way with it. So, so Jesus promised us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we receive his power, and we receive the authority. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 19 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And John fourteen twelve says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. We possess the power and the authority of the kingdom of God today. We don't have to wait till we get there. If we wait, we missed it. We missed our purpose and why we exist. Why we are here is not to accumulate things for ourselves, to live the best life we can live now. That's not why we're here. Our purpose is to take the message of the gospel to a broken, distant world because their God wants them back. So there are, no, there are no lines that separate us from humanity. We are all have the same condition. We all have the same condition. So we love, we pray, and we allow God 
to bring change in people's hearts. And we introduce them to the same God that, that some of you know and that you said yes to and that's changed your life. There's a, there's a video. Can you, can you, I want to I wanna show you guys uh, real quick before he puts it up. And I'm, I'm just a sucker for it. So I'm going to tell you guys, I, I hope you hang in here with us about six, seven minutes long. Um, John Wimber is the guy, one of, is, is the guy that was responsible for the Vineyard Movement. And, um, man, I, I see his testimony, and I, it just, every time, I've seen it a hundred times. And every time, it's like watching it for the first time. And I, I wanted to show you guys something, because something jumped out at me. Um, can you go, can you guys play that? Do we have it? All right, let's see if we can do this. God is with us. I'm, I'm glad we started off with God help me today. Well, we went. That first night we went, and there was a guy that was, the his name was Gunner. And he was a welder, and I figured, well, a welder, he couldn't be too smart. So I'll go. And he was the Bible teacher. Hey, pause it real and quick. And we got there, and it was just Dick and Lynn and my, pause my real quick. wife I'll and set I. this up for you guys real quick. So, so John is telling, he, had, um, he was a musician, um, you know, worked in Vegas, and his life was a mess. Him and his wife were getting ready to be separated. And uh, long story short, they ended up coming back together, and they went to a church. And he said it was the weirdest experience he ever had. But um, out of going to this church, um, the very next day, he got, he got invited to a Bible study. And so what he's talking about is the Bible study that he got invited to. And this is because, before he, he came to, to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So go ahead. Sorry, guys. And this guy named Gunner and this other guy... Uh, named Bucky. It was a nice little group. And we sat down, and uh, I, I wasn't going to let this guy put anything over on me, you know. And I said, look, man, before we get started, let me just say in front, I don't believe all this stuff. He said, I understand that. And I said, uh, besides that, I, I don't want to know, about, I want to know about God. I've been trying to find out about God, and all you guys do is talk about Jesus. And I don't want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about God. He said, well, that's because you don't understand that Jesus is God. I said, where does it say that? And so he began thumbing through the Bible and showing me different things and the verses. I mean, I didn't understand most of what he was saying, but he talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, and he talked for about a half hour. And uh, when he got all through, I, I sensed that he thought he'd convinced me, and I said, well, that's really interesting. And, and uh, my friend Dick was sitting there, and he suddenly became the interpreter. Now, you've got to understand, I was a musician, and I didn't, underst- I didn't know how to talk Christianese. You know what I mean? I mean, somebody would say, praise the Lord or something. I remember a few weeks after I was there, somebody walked up to me and said, have you been washed in the blood, brother? I thought. I said, when do they make you do that? And so I had a hard time with some of the images, you know, and, and the concepts that they were putting at me. And, and, uh, and so my, my friend Dick, uh, he interpreted for me. This guy would talk a long time, and then Dick would just sort of summarize it, you know, in some, uh, a phrase that made sense to me. Well, that's the way the evening went. After about two or three hours, I was really getting into it. You've got to understand, I was a night person. I was used to be, I, I mean, I was really awake at 11, 12, 1, 2, and 3. That's when I did my best work. And so this guy, you know, he's a welder. He gets up early in the morning. So about 11.30 or so, he's getting... 
And I'd say, well, you can go in a minute, but answer me this. And then I would ask him another question. And then another question. And he kept saying, boy, this guy's hungry. And I said, no, I ate before I came. I'm not hungry. <laughs> but, but tell me this, you know. Tell me what this means and tell me what that means. Well, it was the greatest night of my life. I went home so excited I couldn't sleep. You know, I stayed up all night and read the Bible. It was wonderful. I finally had some grasp of some ideas and some concepts. I finally had someone I could talk to. Well, it turned out to be Tuesday night. Tuesday night became the focal point of my life. I would wait all week to be there. We would drive up in, into Yorba Linda. We lived down in Thon Valley area. We would drive up to Yorba Linda about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and just drive around because we thought God lived up there. <laughs> and we'd just drive around and talk about him, you know, and read the book and talk and talk and talk about all the things we were learning. We were super excited. Weeks went by. We didn't understand all the issues. I didn't know that the... the what the Bible was. I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't know what he had done. And it took weeks to get the... I mean, you just don't understand. I didn't have any grasp of it. It wasn't simple for me. It was very complex, all of these things. And over a period of weeks, it began to pull together. And finally, I got the idea. Jesus is the Son of God. He died for sins. I, people have sinned. I understood that. It made sense. I didn't think I had sinned, but I understood that others had. <laughs> and so one night, we're all talking on this thing, and all of a sudden... My wife says, I think it's time to do something about this. And the guy closed his Bible, you know, real clear. And I thought, oh, no. And he says, so do I. And my wife and he are talking, and I'm watching him. And the next thing I know, she's kneeling on the floor and talking to the plaster. <laughs> and she's saying, oh, God, I'm heartily sorry for my sins. I thought, well, what'd she do? Because <laughs> she was a good guy, you know. I mean, I knew her. I'd known her real well. I thought she was a pretty good guy, you know. Not as good as I was, but a good guy. And so she's talking, and I'm thinking, this is really strange. You know, she's doing this thing that they've all done. And I, and I said, one, two, three, wait a minute. And I'd been on a few stages in my life, and I knew it was about time for me to do my turn. When she finished, it was my turn. And I was, I sat there, and I thought, oh, no. Ha, 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 They're not going to get, no, I'm not going to do this. And I remember I was sitting there and I was in a captain's chair and I had a hold of both handles, you know. <laughs> They're not going to drag me out of this chair, you know. And I'm sitting there and the next thing I know I'm on my knees. Now I don't know, to, to save my life, I don't know whether I got out of the chair or was shoved. <laughs> I know theologically that that's very important, but I've never been able to figure it out. All I know was the next thing, I was on my knees and I was trying to pray this prayer of repentance they kept talking about. But I couldn't pray. All I could do was go, rah, 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 for hours. I, it seemed like hours, at least a half hour. My nose is running. It's all over my chest, you know. My eyes are swelling shut. I'm sobbing. My body is racked with pain. And, I'm, and about 20 minutes into it, I'm realizing that I'm making an utter fool of myself. <laughs> and I thought, if this doesn't work, I'm going to die. <laughs> How will I explain this, you know, if this thing doesn't connect? And so the next thing I know, I'm ha I have a, a, a recollection. Years before, I'd gotten in, into a situation where I was out of money, came back to Los Angeles. This is when I was a traveling musician. And I needed some money, and I had a friend that did drugs. 
and he sold them. He was a connection, and he sold them in Pershing Square. You know, a great downtown. If you haven't been there, uh, you missed it. You had to be there. You had to visit it once to understand it. Pershing Square is a notorious park in the center of uh, Los Angeles. And so I went down there to find my friend who I knew would have some money because drug dealers always have money. And I, and I needed some money. I wanted to borrow some money from him. And uh, while I was waiting for him, it was kind of a miserable day, kind of rainy and everything. And I was waiting for him to come. And here comes this guy walking along, and he's got one of these signs, like an Eat at Joe's type of sign, you know, front and back. And on the front it said, I am a fool for Christ. And on the back it said, whose fool are you? Well, when I saw it at the time, I thought, oh, weird religious weirdo, you know, he went by. But here I am, all these years later, I'm kneeling on my friend's living room floor. I'm sobbing. I'm suddenly realized that I'm making a complete fool of myself. And I, st- and I remember that thing. I thought, that's it. That's it. I'm going to be his fool. That's it. And I resolved in my heart at that moment that from that point out, I was going to do the foolish thing in the eyes of the world. I didn't know it was going to be the foolish thing in the eyes of the church, too. (laughs) Uh, That's Mr. Wimber. John was... um, He's just about as genuine and authentic as as you see in that that video. Um, It's the one thing that attracted me to the Vineyard Church. there's, There's just a and honesty, and he didn't have to be perfect to be in front of people to speak the gospel. He, he was broken, and um, God changed his life. And because of that, today, uh, the vineyard is well over 2,500 churches globally. Um, and we have a little different model. You see some are 30. We have some are 5,000-member churches in the vineyard. But we try to take it to the people, take it out to the communities, so we reflect what Brazos Port or what Lake Jackson looks like. Uh, we don't have to have uh, us all run up to Houston and go to church together. But what, what, really, what really stands out to me in that and why I wanted to show it to you was I told you we were going to come back to uh, the sons of Sebas in Acts 19. This, it, it really got me last week when, when Bill shared this and I don't know why it, it, it got me like it did, and it, it still has a hold of me because I'm. It's serious business, what we do. And I've I've preached many a time up here over the last five years, and I could never figure out why people would just want to come to church, just to sit and hang out. I mean, our music's not that great here, and and uh, Lord knows we struggle to get through the message sometimes. And I thought, man, I work all the time. I'd, I'd love to sleep in. So why, why do we come? Why do we show up? It can't be for the music. You know, we're, we're, we like so, we're social people. Maybe it's the friendship. I don't know. But if that's why, we miss the point. Here's what it says in Acts 19. So Paul is in Ephesus, and he's... He's doing the work of the kingdom. He's doing the work we've been called to do. In uh, Acts 19, 11 says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. 
And we talked about seen and unseen. Some, some Jews who went, around dry, uh, who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So here are these seven sons, the seven sons of Sebas, a Jewish chief priest, and they were doing this. One day, they were, they were out doing this work, and they were, they were uh, proclaiming um, what Paul was, was doing. Um, and they were driving out demons, and, and one spoke back. So it says, uh, they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sebas, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, and this is what he said. He said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I've heard about. But who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. The part that stuck out to me was, who are you? If you're playing church and you need to really look here, I've been looking here. I've been in this church for 14 years, 15 years. And you need to know this is serious business. If I'm, and I've had people come and ask me to pray over their homes because they thought they were possessed with evil spirits. You know what I did? I went the other way. I, maybe I didn't look at them in the way that I should. Because I could tell you, my, my biggest fear is I know Jesus. I know John Wimber. I know Bill Laswell, but I don't know you. For, for the enemy to tell me that he doesn't even know, he doesn't even care about me. He, that's great. If I'm not doing God's work, he doesn't have to know me. If I'm not doing what I was created for and the purposes that God put us on this, this earth for, he doesn't have to know me. But make no mistake, there is... There is a battle going on, and we've been called into it, whether you believe it or not. If you read the Bible and you believe this, you don't have to believe any word coming out of my mouth. I, I ask you, know this. Know it. We, we've had Bible classes here. We teach our, our, our children, um, you know, the books of the Bible, and they have to memorize that, and they do little songs, and that's great. It's great. But if that's how they know the Bible, it's not going to be enough. When you need to go look up a scripture, I'm at graduation last night, and that young man back there is talking to me about the book of Mark. Victor, and he just got through reading. Can be a junior next year? Can be a junior next year. And he's asking questions. This is becoming a fabric of his life, this right here. It's great to know the songs and how all the 
books of the Bible go in order. But if that's all you know, when it gets down to it, who are you? We're just, we're just playing the game. And, and it, it's real consequences. There's a program that will change the world. And for this week, I want you to understand that you and I are part of God's plan. We are the light. We, you need to understand that we are the light of the world because Jesus is in you. If you've said yes to him, you are the light of the world. You live and you breathe to bring glory and honor to him because he made a way to bring us back to the Father. Why don't you guys stand up?